Get ready for a little surf and turf action on Midnight Run Through, a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy Midnight Run, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brass. Co-hosted by me, Jen Johans from Watch with Jen. And me, Blake Howard from One Hate Minute Productions. Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through the incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run-Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafit Koto, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker Hall, Joe Pantoliano, and company on screen. Today, our guests are... Hi, uh, my name is Adrian McKinty. I'm a, um, a crime writer from originally from Northern Ireland. And for the last three years, I've been living in New York City. But before we go any further, let's kick things off on Jack Walsh's old turf with the ultimate question. Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? Well, because I I um, I didn't accept the payoffs <laughs> from the mob, which is what you're supposed to do in yeah. Chicago, <laughs> and that's how you live an easier life. Um, Robert De Niro had that hard life, as did Frank Serpico in the NYPD. <laughs> uh, if they had just taken the path of least resistance, they would have had an easier life, but their morality wouldn't let them take the path of uh, least resistance. So Bob De Niro um, has a lot of problems in Chicago PD and Frank Serpico has a lot of problems in NYPD. That's the first Serpico connection. I Jen. know. This is the I first like one that. on the show. Yeah, I like that too. Little so Pacino De Niro action. I yeah. mean, a man after my own heart. Another reason yeah. to talk about Pacino and De Niro together. Um, Adrian, tell us about Midnight Run. When did you see it? How did you see it? How often do you revisit it? Because uh, I think folks who may have heard you talk before and say, watch with Jen, they know you are a voracious consumer of movies and you love watching stuff, but how did, and and I think if the influence of Jen is always um, how many times have you watched Midnight Run? That's a great way that she, a cornerstone of many of her friendships. So how did you start watching Midnight Run and, and when did you encounter it? I can tell you, I saw it in the cinema when I was a kid. Um, so that when the, it came out, 88, 80, yes. yep, 88. 80. So I, I, I would have been a kid and I saw it in the cinema. I knew nothing about it. I don't think I had seen Robert De Niro in anything. Um, okay. Me neither. Yep. Um, I think this may have been my introduction to him. I certainly hadn't seen Taxi Driver or Raging Bull or, mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. Um, so I think this may have been my introduction to him. It was 100% my introduction to Charles Grodin. Um, I'd never heard of him um, before. Um, I Obviously, not growing up in America, I had never seen him on Carson, where yeah. he's extremely famous from his appearances on Johnny Carson show. And then later on, he would play the same angry, slow burn character on David Letterman. Yeah. Uh, so I think for, for, for American audiences, it's quite a different experience. I mean, it's kind of self-effacing you know, entrance, I see. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you feel my pants, the, the, the lady, Amy Yazbek, mm-hmm. who's coming on later, felt my pants were disrespectful. 
I don't know. I think they're fine if you're a log roller. Were you offended by my pants? Not a bit. No. Jeans are comfortable. I think Good. jeans are fine. Good, and you? Just, just... You wear pants? Yes, I have pants on. <laughs> really not necessary. Most of the time I'm back here. Yes, I could probably save a lot if I, I didn't wear them. Let's, let's work this out here. <laughs> my first guest who's currently starring in Taking Care of Business, then in parentheses it says, with Jim Belushi. So is the correct billing co-starring or starring? Taking Care of Business is, is probably the most entertaining picture I've, I've done since Heaven Can Wait. <laughs> Did I miss a question somewhere in between? <laughs> Did you answer something else before this? You're jumping ahead to the next question. You see, they have to come in order. Uh, I ask the really questions, then no. you answer I, the current question. I have question. certain things to say, and you have certain things of to course say. Of course we I'm do. Guy who's just simmering with intelligence, um, but also rage all the way through. And, and I think they go, oh, it's, it's Robert De Niro playing a cop, you know, but an outsider cop wearing a leather jacket. Oh, he's not quite a cop. He's uh, upon it. So I think there would have been a lot of familiarity there. Um, as for me, I, I, I kind of went in blind, um, yeah. not knowing either of those characters. And then um, I think the thing that I fell in love with was the tone. Um, I, I still don't really know how to describe that tone because it's no. it's ironic, but it's also serious and it has a strong moral center mm -hmm. uh, all the way through and there's these big action set pieces but it's not really an action movie no. uh, some and, action movies wish they had the action of midnight run you know like yeah. it's big action the helicopter stuff the just it, action is, is top notch Not after me. Just kidding, just kidding. Thought you threw those away. Always check the evidence, Marvin. Those are car keys. That was a hundred grand. A hundred? Maybe we're gonna pay you a hundred? Why? What was he gonna pay you? Twenty-five. Oh. Son of a bitch. It's a road movie, and then it's also a buddy movie. So I couldn't get a hat. You know, buddies who are not really buddies, um, but become. Yeah. Uh -huh. I could never get. I couldn't get a handle on the tone. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I grew up in the era of home video, and I watched a lot of films on home video, and especially for the the the, the cheaper ones, the tone is immediately apparent after five minutes. Yeah. But after fifteen minutes of Midnight Run, you're still not really sure what type of film it is, and that's interesting. Yes. Mm -hmm. that's Oh, interesting you're just going wow and also it's good because if you watch a, if you consume a lot of movies and especially in the 80s or um you basically know what's going to happen at the end yes mm -hmm. uh, to all those 80s films you just go oh i think i i think i and you're right 90 percent of the time whereas midnight run 
I was so confused. I had no yeah. clue what was going to happen at the end. I was absolutely baffled. I thought, wait, are they going to kill this guy? Um, you know, are they going to kill both of them? What? Because <laughs> there was a real element of scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Serrano in the car with Grodin. What's going to happen? Yeah. I was really sorry. I had no clue what was going to happen at the end. And then um, I was so many surprises, like Joey Pants being yeah. the, uh, well, I guess you, you got used to Joey Pants being the traitor as because he played that same character about three or four more times, um, including The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, um, basically the guy that's not really on board with the rest of the team. Um, but I hadn't seen him do that before in, in, in Midnight Run, so I, that was really surprising. And uh, so, yeah, tonally super interesting. I couldn't put my finger on it. Character development, everything, just my introduction to De Niro, my introduction to Groden. So yeah, I really loved it. And also it was, but it was also a little bit confusing. I, I'm, I'm guessing it was really popular and made money, but I wonder what it is when people came out of it, what did they tell their friends? What would you, what That's would- That's a good point. Would you say, hey, I just saw this great action movie, buddy comedy. Buddy, buddy comedy, maybe. Yeah, you're right. It came out on the same weekend as Die Hard. Yeah. So one of those uh, movies had better word of mouth than the other. Right. It came, what, 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 what weekend was that? Um, Die Hard came out in the summer. I, I, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's a summer movie. Because um, it was a setting, but a summer blockbuster. Mm hmm. And I was like, yeah. why didn't they, why didn't they just remember? Like, yeah. It's die hard. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah. In Australia, um, in Australia, it was, we got die hard a few months after the States. We were October. So it was heading so in. It's almost. So we're heading into the end of the year, but I believe, um, I'll just have a look here. It was July 20th in the States was when Die Hard came out. So like, obviously in Australia, we had like a massive, a massive run up um, of that movie and hearing how amazing it was before it finally got a theatrical release. And that was kind of the way of the world for the longest time with Oz, we would get things a few months after and sometimes still right. to this day. Um, but yeah, so we, but it was a July movie. So it's like peak summer. Like you're right there. It's, it's, they used to think of the earlier May releases or April releases, the early summer, but like that Memorial weekend, late May, all the way through to July, anything that's released at that time is the big summer releases. So it was the there. we've got this Christmas movie, but we're going to release it in, in July, yeah. the hottest, <laughs> hottest time of the year. And people will go and they did. Yeah. Uh, and then Die Hard 2 is also Christmas or snowy. Yeah. The three was the well, one. He was set in summer with Sam Jackson. Because they're sweat. It's him and Sam Jackson. They're sweating. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. That's, that's like right. a Riddler goes, movie. Basically. Yeah, because he's it's like, like it's it's like it's Christmas. You could steal. It's like it's Christmas. You could steal City Hall, and but it's yeah. in New York. It's like Christmas. You could steal City Hall, but it is in New York City. But yeah, so it would be a winter if it was. So, yeah. So that that's so I guess Die Hard cleaned up at the box office and uh, Midnight Run, but had a good word of mouth as well. I'm yeah. sure um, people say, oh, you got to go see this after you've seen Die Hard, go see, go see this. It's also interesting. Uh, those two films, obviously we didn't know there was going to be a series of Die Hard films, but um, such quality 
action entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, like with great character development, both of those movies and great jokes and just the, whole, the, the great villains, just a really professional job that they did in, in that era. Um, in a way, we, I, are, I, we are talking about Martin Bress and John McTiernan. They're yeah. incredibly talented directors. Yeah. Behind this both is right of after Beverly yep. Hills Cop. And, right after Beverly yeah. Hills Cop. Yep. But I wonder if that you would get the budget and the time to make something like that today. No. Uh, that it's not connected to a superhero franchise in any way. Just say, no. yeah. Do this heist movie. I just want to do this body movie about about bounty hunters, and people just go, "Well, how does that tie into Batman?" Actually, uh, you, you can do it, but it's like three directors in the world, right? That will get the cast. They get the. Right. They yeah. can just cast like. Otherwise, it'd be a Gerard Butler direct DVD yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, percent. Dana Thief Six. Let's go. Um, but it would. <laughs> but it. Yeah, it's like. When Serrano Tarantino has said, fallen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Serrano has fallen. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jen, that was, that tickled me. Um, but uh, the, yeah, like it's like Scorsese, it's Tarantino and it's kind of uh, Nolan. Like those guys who can just go, I'm going to make this big gigantic movie and I'm going to mm-hmm. cast it with six of your favorite Academy Award winning and Academy Award nominated people. And they will literally just drop everything to do it. And also, and I, I don't, I, I also kind of don't blame the studios because um, in the eighties, they know, knew that if they made a quality movie um, under those circumstances, the audience would show up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now I think they think this is one, what this $150 million movie about a bounty hunter with, I don't know if the people will come and the people might not come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they actually absolutely might not come. They, they, you're right. They show up for Oppenheimer. Um, but would they come for generic crime thriller or, or something like that? And I, I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah. Um, so you, you know, in a way you, you sort of don't blame them. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was was Groden. Um, we we touched on how I'd never heard of Groden, was Americans had heard of him. Mm-hmm. I remember after after I saw Midnight Run, I um, I went to my video store and I said, "Have you got any films by this guy?" And I can't, I couldn't even remember his name. I said the other guy from, and then said, "Oh yeah, Charles Groden. You should watch that." And I had one of those like Tarantino esque um, video store guys, and he said, "You should watch this." film and he gave me the heartbreak kid and yeah. so of watching uh midnight run i watched the heartbreak kid and and i thought oh, I, I, and that film also blew my mind i thought oh what? yeah what's the tone of this movie <laughs> <laughs> dark as shit like the breakup scene oh, at the so oh my god uh, so ridiculously funny and dark yes. and yeah weird. It was one of those movies like Harold and Maud or something. You should, how did this even get made? Yes. I just about made up my mind that I'm going to make this my home. Oh. Well, from what I've seen, I'd say you're a very determined young man. <laughs> I take that as a compliment, Mrs. Corcoran. Well, I don't mind saying it. This is one of the finest meals that I've ever had. 
Oh, thank you, Leonard. It's simple, you know. Mr. Mr. Corcoran doesn't really care for fancy food. Though I imagine you've tried just about every kind of exotic dish in New York. Exactly. See, that's, that's the trouble. It's exotic, but it's not honest. I mean, it's fancy, but it's not, it's not real. I mean, this is honest food. There, there's no lying in, in that beef. There, there's no uh, insincerity in those potatoes. There's no deceit in the cauliflower. This is a, a totally honest meal. And, and it's, it's ridiculous. And it's also ridiculous that they remade it. And yeah. uh, it didn't work at all. But um, it's just insane, the heartbreak kid that had gone. And Gordon is perfect in that too. Yeah. So creepy. And <laughs> woo. Um, what a fantastic film. And um, and then I went on a little binge of, of Groden because the next one I saw was um Cash 22, um, where he has a very small role in Cash 22. Mm. But then I, but then I started to get a bit nerdy about it, and I thought, wow, is he the only um there can't be that big a number of people who've been directed both by Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Uh, <laughs> It's got to be a small number, uh, you know, because Elaine May did, didn't direct that many um, films. You know, no, because her, her, her career, Ishtar killed her career basically. Um, but oh my Unfairly, god, unfairly, yeah. And he was in, and he was in Ishtar too. Yes, in Ishtar. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah Groans in Ishtar, yeah. in Ishtar for a very short amount of time. And he's also the rare one has been directed by Elaine May, Mike Nichols, Martin Brest, and Jim Henson. So yes. So did you see uh Sorry, Married an Axe Murder? What no? is it? It's <laughs> called So I Married an Axe Murder. Yeah, the one Mike that Mike Myers. Myers is in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he plays the guy who doesn't want to have his car commandeered. No. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say um this is no insult to Mr. Groden. Um, I know he's no longer with us. I would say he has the greatest range. Um, as an actor, like yeah. he seems to play a type, yeah. Uh, um, um, sort of intelligent, obviously, uh, with simmering, uh, yeah, rage. there's rage, yes, issues. Uh, but if you, <laughs> you can nail that type and play it, you know, you know, really well, um, that, that's a career, yes. Uh, Another one I love is Seems Like Old Times, which I introduced Blake to earlier. Have mm. you seen that one? Neil Simon wrote it. It's with wow. him, Goldie Hawn, Chevy mm. Chase. It's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, but so whoever thought to put them together, De Niro and Grodin, it completely worked. I mean, there's yeah. so much great. It the casting kills it. It just the cast. You, you, they get the casting wrong, and it doesn't matter what else they do. Mm-hmm. It's just got off in the wrong. F- Again, we were talking about Excalibur earlier, and the casting is so wrong in Excalibur. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, like King Arthur's just too old. Um, mm-hmm. Forty, and he, at one point he's playing like a seventeen-year-old. Uh, <laughs> cast this. Very handsome man to play um, uh, Lancelot, but oh yeah, the hair. Yes, we yes. talked about that. But <laughs> there's no chemistry at all between him and Gwyneth. It just doesn't. No. 
nothing going on. And whereas here in Mineran, casting, I don't think they got a, I don't think they missed one. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's perfect. Like, yeah. Every, yeah, Fakoto, all of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My God, Lafakoto, so great in this. Yes. Bullshit with the sunglasses, <laughs> cigarettes, and watch your cigarettes with this guy, Jack. John Ashton, too. John oh Ashton, my god. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how much that was improvised, all that yes. stuff. Because I know Yafit would always come to the I, I I like one of my favorite movies, and I have an encyclopedic memory of it is is Alien. Yeah. Uh um, and really, Scott would always talk about how Yafit was the biggest problem on the set. Oh, really? Yeah, because Yafit would always come like ten ideas, and really, Scott, really, Scott's firefighting throughout that whole film. He's just going, "Oh my god, I'm, I'm dealing with the producers and the set designers and the money people," and he's just firefighting. I'm just trying to get this thing in there. <laughs> and Yafit shows up. Just, go, I've got a whole bunch of ideas. <laughs> today and really scott's going oh yeah but no please just rape just do the lines please we'll be back after this quick break is there any way you and harry dean son could just do the lines and just stay in your seats. Talk about the most unhinged pairing of all time. Yafet Koto and Harry Dean Stanton. Fucking what wild cards. Bless their hearts. Oh my gosh. May they yes. both rest in peace and power. Holy dooly. They're so good together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're perfect together. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I've always loved him um, since since Alien. And I, it was when I also, when I was watching, I think he may have been the only one in Midnight Run that actually I'd seen in a film before. Uh, okay. Well, Yafet uh, yeah. hated this experience, Adrian. He, yeah. He, he yeah. famously did not like, he thought he that didn't Martin know it Brest, was a comedy. He didn't yeah. know it was a comedy. He didn't know what was going on. He's like, I don't know if Martin Bress knows how to make movies. Um, he just <laughs> didn't get it. He just didn't get the, t- exactly as you said, he couldn't pinpoint the tone of what he was going for. Um, and then I, I imagine when he sees it, if he ever saw it or if he was too kind of burned by the experience, but when you see it, you're like, oh no, they got every take they needed with him. They, they got yeah. the serious mm-hmm. tough guy that's completely undercut. You know, it, it, my, one of my favorite scenes, exactly as you talked about with the sunglasses, is like I, I I found the tone of Midnight Run, or maybe refound it as I've gotten older. Is the moment that Jack puts those sunglasses on. I know exactly what kind of movie this is. I'm like <laughs> I am in. Right. He puts those sunglasses on to mock to mock um uh Mosley and his team. I'm like it's the best. And also. <laughs> That I didn't know that about about Yafit having problems with the, but that's it. That sometimes can work great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's up, supposed to be irritated. Yeah, so ornery all the way through. <laughs> yeah, and that works great. Yeah, you know, it's like a, supposedly I don't know if this is true, but supposedly Sam Peckinpah would do that a lot um, with his cast. He would say, you know, the the, the guy doesn't think you're a very good actor. And he goes, <laughs> Yeah, he, just looking, he just says, you know, it's going to be a real drag to work with you today because he doesn't think you're very good. And he goes, all right, action. And, uh, <laughs> and the guy is like simmering with rage. Oh, my God. Incredibly tense scene. And then, of course, Peckinpah, the next day, we just go, oh, my God. Do you see your, your buddy, your scene partner's performance? It was so great yesterday. And you were so down. He doesn't think you're a good actor. 
and he would just <laughs> do this. What a oh, shit. Yeah. What a shit. All the way through with his cast and uh, nobody's sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> works. I mean, if, if you show up to the set, yeah. Angry, you know. Uh, like one of my favorite, um, oh, this is another side alien sidetrack, but one of my favorite bits when you're watching that, they 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 made a three and a half hour documentary about the making of Alien, if you ever, if you ever catch it. Yeah. Uh, called the beast within and um uh, and it's it's as good as the film it's it's so entertaining but there's a really great bit in where really scott is, is just had had it up to here with 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 yaffa and everybody else and he says on on yaffa's final day um and also you can see this exactly happening yaffa was so into the movie um like he was so into his character and everything that was happening to everybody around the movie he says on yaffa's final day he came to me and he grabbed my arm and he said, um, I'm not going to die today, Ridley. I'm not going to die today. And he says, and Ridley Scott says, how? What's going to happen? He says, I'm going to kill that monster and I'm going to save the crew. And, and really says, oh my God. Says, I'm going to kill him and I'm going to save the crew. And this is how I'm going to do it. And, um, and he was so worked up and he just wanted to save everybody. And he says, <laughs> Awesome, you know he he That's he. Amazing. He didn't want Veronica Cartwright to die. He didn't want no. Die. He wanted to save everybody, and and save them from the monster, and uh, and he was convinced that he could right to the. <laughs> that's in 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 one way that's bananas. I mean that's yeah. really bar. But in the way, how great is that? That yeah. is, yeah. Is that just showing He's up for in character? Like I'm gonna yeah. do it. Yes. I'm, and really, he's like, nah, you're gonna die, and I'm gonna kill you on screen. I'm afraid. I'm afraid not yet. It's not gonna happen. But uh, yeah, he's so good in 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 this and and in everything and blue collar. And, I was just gonna say blue, yeah, collar, blue collar. Yeah, yeah. What was that? What was that James Bond movie he was in? Um, Live he, and Let Die was it? Live, yeah, Live and Let Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also is another tonally weird film. It's so strange. It's like, yeah. <laughs> There's really camp comedy. Yeah. Uh, um, from Roger Moore. And then dark, dark, weird stuff. And then there's the whole Shaft stuff. This, the yeah, whole- but, but that that's Bond doing... Um, that's Bond in the doing 70s. What, yeah. yeah. Bond does that thing where for a few of those years, it's just like the, I'll have what she's having action series. It's like, whatever is big in action, whatever, cinema the, trend or whatever, whatever the trend is, it kind of has to do an incorporation and sort of uh, almost consume it. It's like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to take some of that into this next one. Um, like Moonraker. Moonraker, of course. Yeah. The worst example. Yeah. <laughs> Of that, just go. Oh, let's, can we have bonding Star Wars? No, we can't. Um, yeah, but... they can. They can. Throws yeah, like, ass in space. Yeah. Why not? It's shot in England. It's shot in London on Pinewood. We're gonna we're gonna take some Star Wars here. We're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny when you Paul and Kale. Um, this is another sidetrack. I uh, hope you don't mind. But um, Paul and Kale famously hated Kubrick. I mean, she just she hated Stanley Kubrick. And if you ever read her review of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it makes some fair points, but a lot of it's quite unhinged. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the most unhinged parts of that review is the bit where she talks about this, 
special effects in Thunderball being better than the special effects in 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's <laughs> uh, a take that hasn't aged well. No, and I just go, really? Thunderball? <laughs> go watch that again, Pauline. Yes. Uh, the guy floating, pretending to float on the wires, and then the thing... Like and you're just going, I, I I'm not so sure. I think I think maybe your hatred for Kubrick has blinded you to the reality here. That that, that that's the edge, like Pauline Cal, one of the great obviously one of the greatest film critics of all time. It's like there is a fine line between where Pauline Cal's hatred takes her off into the unhinged, like she starts to get to almond white territory where it's like two plus two equals five, where you're like, I don't I don't understand how someone who has a command of the English language as well as you has gone so bad on this particular take. And then there's other ones where she eviscerates a film and you're like, I actually can't ever watch that movie again because yeah, she yeah, just yeah. she told you every every conceivable flaw in it in such a profound way that it like hits your bones. Like she's like autopsy to corpse and it's over. Well, to bring it back to Serpico and uh, Pacino uh, in one of his interviews in the 70s, which I love, uh, he had read that Pauline Kael famously said he looked like Dustin Hoffman or something, and he took such umbrage to it in an interview. He goes, is that before or after they removed the shot glass from her throat? <laughs> really funny. I love that, yes. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to praise if you're going to praise special effects in Thunderball... Yeah, you set- put on some glasses, Pauline Kael. Like, yeah. Make, praise that giant set they built in the volcano. Yeah. yeah, that's that's incredible. This <laughs> is of all the Austin Powers movies, and just anybody who has ever built a giant set, just because mm-hmm. well, they did Thunderball. Look what they did. They had the inside of a volcano in some studio west of London. Um, praise that. Don't praise the shonky face <laughs> stuff, which no one can watch now without cringing. Um, but you know. Uh, but just yeah the, the volcano that that's amazing but that- no, what's what's amazing is robert de niro running after a biplane and like jumping on and pulling a man out of the biplane while practical, it's running along yeah, yeah. practical effects practical running to locations. catch a train mm-hmm. helicopters crashing cars huge set pieces where people are in real danger to do the stunts that's the stuff where i get that's my kind of jam it's like people have People have put such dedication into this that they're going to sort of safely, but probably not because the eighties, I would imagine are slightly less uh, crazy with health and safety on a set than we are, but yeah, absolutely incredible in this, in particular in midnight run to go back. There's no volcano, but they wears snappy suits. I think you made a good point about the train stuff because that that's the scene where they run onto the train. They run onto Mm -hmm. the actors and the freight not going very fast but no there's so much possibility for things to go wrong there yes like, you could fall flat on your face you could run into the train you could get between the train and the tra- oh god yes and this is your leading man and your leading man too yeah. it's the whole movie is right there in that train carriage and they 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 just there's going to be this scene where you have to run up to and jump. And you know how they do it now. You would have them running into the thing, into the boxcar, and then mm-hmm. they would and then you would see them landing in the boxcar in a close-up. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, the stunt people did it. Yeah. Or you would, you know, long shot, and you see two 
anonymous guys jumping in mm-hmm. and it would be all stuntmen because it's just the insurance and everything else oh They're my just, god yeah can't do this but there they actually i just think stuff with trains really freaks me out because it's so there's so much potential for oh, things, yeah. things to go wrong mm-hmm. and, and getting on on and off trains get in and out of trains um yeah and in the water too i know that was really dicey um they had to shoot some of that over in new zealand actually because it was it was too cold in arizona and it was it was dangerous and it was like uh oh like groden was supposed to go in the water first and at the last minute he's like deniro like you go ahead and you do it and after deniro got out he said no you're not doing it. like it, it was too bad yeah but also, but interspersed between those action scenes, I'm just thinking there's all those character beats because yes, before the train bit is the bit with the currency, and, the litmus uh, configuration, <laughs> the litmus configuration, yeah, so oh, fantastic. Yes, what are they gonna do? Um, what are they? You know, what are they gonna do? They're and they invent this whole thing, and it's beautiful. It's like it's bonding. So- it's so gorgeous and it's so and the joke at the very end um when he's got the money belt so none of it none of it it reminded me of the joke from roger rabbit um when he's sewing the handcuffs um to get out of the handcuffs and then when he finally gets through the handcuffs roger rabbit just slips his hand out of the handcuffs and and then um bob hoskins says to roger rabbit you mean you could have taken your (laughs) at any time and Roger Rabbit says no only when it was funny um, <laughs> and that's that's like Charles Grodin Charles Grodin could have opened the money belt at any at, time yep. at yeah. any point and saved them but n- only at the end does he do it when it's funny because uh, you've watched all the other stuff you just go oh that's so perfect yes had all this stuff up they did all this hard work and all these gags and everything and then you have this little thing at the end it's so great and and again only someone like Grodin could really have pulled that off yes mm-hmm. temperament and you know uh character and stuff like that it's just great great stuff and I love how much physical stuff um, kind of contradicts the dialogue, like that scene where he's on the phone and he's like, and I'm going to kill the Duke. And then, yeah. you know, like when he vibes, like, I love that so much. Yeah. yeah uh, just the initial thing with the plane. When it, yes. when, physical <laughs> comedy. Yeah. Things go down. Yeah. I underestimate him as an actor because that is really great comic acting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> these things go down i love it yeah not everybody could have pulled that off uh that's really that's really try try being a fan of this movie and being on a plane and not wanting to say that line and you're like oh god just don't say it (laughs) don't say it don't fucking say it you're gonna get kicked off this flight the the film was a hit everybody liked it um and hollywood eats its own how come there was never a midnight run too well, there, there were was. these direct to USA Network sequels, but they had Christopher McDonald in for Robert De Niro. It's not his fault, but they were not great. Yeah, I don't know about those, you got to tell me about those. What, so when did they they come out in the nineties? Yes, I've only seen one of them because I did buy a box set of the DVDs uh, right. uh, that came as a set, and I watched the first one, and 
it was not good. Dan Hedaya is in for Joey Pants, and oh man, it's a mess. so. Yeah. And it comes out in the first one's nineteen ninety four, another Midnight Run. Okay, so they have catchy titles too, Adrian. Like Midnight Run Around. Straight to video. Um, straight to straight video. to USA Network. Yeah, yep. straight to straight to USA Network. Then video. Then there's Midnight Run Around, which oh is another made for television also 1994 so they made them like back to back yeah <laughs> and then the, the final the final one was midnight run for your life so they made three movies in one year basically <laughs> like bloated <laughs> television episodes and they're only 90 they minutes redress the same warehouse no <laughs> pretty much and and so uh yeah i i'm actually waiting as we speak um for the box set to watch them, but I've they've been so hard to get in Australia that I've had to ship them internationally to come here, and so I can actually watch them. I was just making three movies in a in a in a in, in one year is not normally a sign of quality. But then Peter Jackson's yelling, just going, "Well, I did it!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> over a few years, over a few years, Pete. Had- yeah, we can do it. Um, yeah. Oh my God. I had no idea about those. And, and now I w- kind of wish I hadn't known about <laughs> it. Oh, ruined it. Yeah. I do like Dan Hedaya though. Dan uh, Hedaya is good. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's there was great. that 90s period where he, he was just in everything. Yeah. Nine to five and blood simple and like, mm-hmm. you know, a million different things and great, great in all those. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Playing the creepy boss lover dude you know he's so good he's got he's got an interesting look mm-hmm. you know well he's he yeah. takes over the joey pants role right mm-hmm. so i think you know okay so at least they got some good cast in there um but who oh yeah so dinner oh what about um none of the other minor characters returns they even they i only watched one and like i've kind of because remember it from my memory. I don't know. <laughs> Jaws two, they they brought back Chief Brody. Jaws three, I don't remember. Um, but Jaws four, I totally remember because they brought back Brody's wife and Michael Caine. You know, <laughs> that movie's only famous for Michael Caine's line about it, which is like, yeah, like have you ever seen it? House. No, I haven't seen it, but I saw the house it built. Yeah, yeah. bless his heart. Like, there's 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 one more um, gag. He must have told us in Parkinson or something. But he says, "Why did you decide to do Jaws four? And I said, "Well, I opened up the script and it said exterior Bahamas morning." And I, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was in rainy London in February, and I thought, okay, exterior Bahamas morning. Yeah, all right, I can do that. Yeah, easy. I, I could do that, yeah. But um, yeah, and they so, would actually shoot it there back then. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't yeah. like you know, Santa Fe, New Mexico for the Bahamas or something. Yeah, you did it well because the shark follows them from New England to, to, <laughs> to the Bahamas. Yeah, it, that happens. Yeah, uh, they're like serial killers. These sharks in these movies. Yes, it knows that she's left Martha's Vineyard. It's the Hannibal Lecter of sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm having but, an old friend for dinner. That's basically yes. Jaws Four. To follow it, yes. <laughs> They've gone 1,400 miles south. But also, think of their decision making. They, they, they. Martha's Vineyard. It's a 
apocalyptic and his bad memories. So they could move to Arizona. Yeah. And they're not going to be troubled by sharks of any kind. Come huh. to Phoenix. We could hang. Yeah. yeah. Denver's, Denver's nice. Why not yeah. Wyoming? Just yeah. no water. No yeah. water. But she says, oh, no, I won't go that far and avoid having sharks terrorize my family. <laughs> got a beach house. <laughs> now that you've mentioned those Midnight uh, Run movies, you know, I know I'm going to watch them because yeah. uh, I've got this little complete, uh, thing inside my head. And uh, so I know at some point I'm going to be sitting down and, and watching them all through, hating them probably. Uh, but once you've started, it's like the way I embraced um, the first Hobbit movie and really didn't like it. And then knew I would be back in the cinema for two and three, <laughs> hating myself for going there and hating the film. Uh, but I knew I'd have to do it. Um, completest. You're a completist. Yes. Well, yeah. after I watch them on DVD, I'll like mail them your way and then you can watch them next. Yeah. yeah. And Jen's like, then they're not in my house anymore. So I don't have yeah. to save and the they're, DVD they're cabinet. <laughs> Just um, don't take anybody with you in your completest journey. I remember taking <laughs> to um, a Planet of the Apes marathon and, um, and she was not impressed. No. Uh, okay. I can't see that you would be. <laughs> <laughs> How many more of these? That's going. Oh, don't worry. There's five of them. No, yeah. More still to come. And then years from now, um, Tim Burton and a whole bunch of other people um, are going to reboot the franchise for us. Um, but I think she left and never spoke to me again. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. This has been Midnight Run Through with Blake Howard and Jen Johans. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then... See you in the next life. See you in the next life. <laughs>